Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How you doing? I'm I'm great. It's a good day over here. You know, we just got finished with a meeting with someone new that's going to be kind of joining the league community soon. So that's always very exciting. We've got, uh, and in that sense, we're talking about workshops, baby. Those are coming. <laughs> Just yeah. keep your eyes out. We're going to be announcing them soon. Sounds like we're going to have quite a bit lined up for September. So uh. it's nice because we've actually been planning ahead, which, you know, I'm sure it looks from the outside like everything is all organized, but internally we're often like, <laughs> you know trying trying to make things work at the last second so it's really awesome to be doing things scheduled and like know that stuff is coming up exactly very exciting i'm getting ready to go to chicago in a short bit to celebrate my grandma yo's 100th birthday so grandma yo 100 the big one oh oh wild she's the only i mean she's 99 she's turning 100 soon but she's only like person near 100 that i have ever known in my life it's an incredible incredible thing that's exciting that's wild that's three dits w-i-l-d crazy wild and we have a very fun week for us we're we're obviously we have a bunch of cool links as always and we're going into a super nerdy nerd alert that i think is going to be kind of exciting because it's sort of you know a lot of our stuff is about type history or like type trends or something like that and this week we're actually doing a nerd alert about type design concepts yes specifically hinting oh my gosh (laughs) that was 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 an awful hint that i tried to drop a hint and i I thought it just didn't work out and that's okay that's fine hinting it's gonna be about hinting yeah so we're gonna talk about hinting in the context of type design and i've done a bunch of research and i knew a bunch of stuff already so olivia is making me lead this one which is going to be unique and fun and probably less charming than usual but i'll do my best oh it's very charming and like can i say micah is just so so easy to understand once he kind of puts it in in his terms and i can't and he knows how appreciative i am of that because guys i was trying to research hinting and it is it's it is it's not some light-hearted stuff it's like some a little bit more dense a little <laughs> bit more technical it was like it is a pretty whoa. serious technical piece of kind of the font mastering type design process. So I think it'll be cool to kind of approach it from like a what the heck is hinting? Where did it come from? Why does it matter? How does that play into the modern landscape of fonts? Why should you care? Kind of thing. Yeah, and it's more relevant than I thought it was going to be. So guys, mm. don't freaking miss out on that. Okay. <laughs> Which, to be fair, a lot of that came up this week because of what is referenced in our first new article the new twitter font right oh yes yes the new font is called chirp i think they announced that the font was changing earlier this year along with some other uh, tweaks to the user interface of the twitter web page on desktop and mobile it has been designed by grilly type but what this article is about is how polarizing 
It is. And when it's not polarizing, how much people also just didn't notice it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> it like really was a survey of like, so some people like really hated it, went to the internet, said how terrible it was with strongly worded language. Other people, you know, said it looked nice. Other people literally could not tell the difference, which is <laughs> hilarious because right away I went on Twitter. I was like, oh, they, they changed something. Something's not right. This G has a lot of attitude to it. And then I later find out that, you know, they switched it from uh, Helvetica, which had a single story G. So I thought it was very relevant. We had a double story kind of podcast last week. That's one of the biggest, biggest changes. It's, you know, different in design, has a little bit more character. I think it's funny. Twitter describes Chirp as like, what did they say? Oh, the, gosh. The like, categorization of... American gothics and European grotesques. Is that what you're talking about? Well, there is that. And then I found it. Really type describes chirp as a typeface that strikes the balance between messy and sharp to amplify the fun and irreverence of a tweet, but can also carry the weight of seriousness when needed. I wouldn't say it's like messy. <laughs> it's like a workhorse font. Something nice to <laughs> right. set type it so i thought that was hilarious i thought all all the ex- like extreme hate uh, for this font was surprising to me considering i was like oh that's new and then i kind of went on my day until later in my day i saw tweets being like my headaches are just growing worse because of the time i spend on twitter how would someone allow themselves to publish this so i mean we're gonna be talking about one aspect you know why some people might have seen certain things in the typeface that other people hadn't later that's gonna have to do with hinting but yeah you know this was this was quite the drama on twitter about twitter this week i mean there's always drama on twitter anytime the design team on twitter changes anything half half of twitter freaks out about it i feel and sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's absurd. You know, I feel like Twitter is not necessarily a place for a hundred percent serious discussion at all times. But I was actually one of those people. You like immediately noticed it, and you were like, "Oh, new new font on Twitter, double story G." And I was like, "Was it not always that way?" Because it was like similar enough to the sans serif that they used to use right which you said was helvetica mm-hmm. it's like not drastically different it's really not like it, it is subtly different and once you recognize the differences you're like okay yeah those are those are definite those are definite mm-hmm. obvious differences now but mm-hmm. uh, i definitely looked at it and i was like wait isn't that how it's always been and so i think that's sort of funny yeah. the other thing that i think is very funny which is you know on, on one hand it's it's totally legit and the other hand i totally want to make fun of it is the fact that like somebody did a comparison to you know this new chirp font and grilly which grilly made and grilly's americana font america america oh right straight up america grilly's america (laughs) font and basically the only difference between besides like a little bit of spacing was turning the squares to circles and it was like a classic like target helvetica oh you mean like the dots of the eyes and the periods and the punctuation the like right right the right squares in there that's hilarious oh. and that's the only difference that's a classic <laughs> and other than target that, like some people even opened up like you know downloaded the web font file for chirp and opened it up and it wasn't like the font metadata didn't even say chirp it said gt america which I, you know it's like half okay as as someone who has run a font foundry and recognizes that like you got to make money on fonts which is hard and 
brands are a giant way to do that. I totally get white labeling a font that you already made. It was probably cheaper for Twitter to do that, to take a font that they already like and customize it a, a little bit. I just think it's a little funny that, like, they didn't really explicitly say that. They, like, use the same language to describe both fonts, in some cases the exact same phrases, but didn't really say that it was a variation of the font, which just feels a little silly. Yeah, yeah. I I also saw that and was like, oh, huh. If anyone wants to know what the Target reference we just gave, I used to work on quite a bit of Target brands at my last job, and they, you know, had their custom Helvetica for Target. That was, like, the name of the font. And, like, the main difference in the font is that all of their, you know, square dots of the I, square periods, were turned to circles. And they also adjusted the double story A to give it a little bit more flair. But other than that, I mean, it's basically just Helvetica, but now it's, you know... <laughs> Helvetica for Target. So that's right. hilarious. And that doesn't surprise me. I think America is a beautiful font. I understand mm. why Twitter want to use that as their kind of workhorse font. I mean, there's tons of examples of America actually being used in beautiful cases, whether that's on the web or in print. So like, they're probably mm -hmm. like, oh, this looks great. Can we just like tweak it? call it our own, have our own like rights to it. I, I get that as a brand. But yeah, I mean, just just wild. They have some funny tweets in here about people's reactions to trying to find the font change, which is always just like humorous. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. Everyone has a hard time adjusting to change, especially on a platform as big as Twitter. And I'm sure. And that I think that's where this is going to play in later, too, is basically like Twitter is a very unique platform of which there are only a few in existence in the mm. modern landscape mm -hmm. where it's so many human beings looking at it with such frequency mm -hmm. that the level of stress test that you need to do as the design team on Twitter is unlike anything other than like facebook or instagram like the giant mm. you know probably top 10 tools that the internet uses netflix is probably in that category like the stress testing that you have to do as a visual designer in that is so far above what you have to do for any other project on the one hand it's very understandable why there were some difficulties and issues that came up once it launched publicly to 80 bajillion people and you kind of got to be like a little bit sympathetic to that yeah yeah <laughs> and on the yep. other hand you know it's sort of like oh well that also makes sense why people are not sympathetic to it because they're kind of like don't you know that mm, i love that little insider sympathy that you've got going Right. And, and that's yeah. true and like it's easy for everyone and especially like twitter is the platform to air out your grievance for anything you want to freaking right. air out that's like, half of that's... my own tweets is like complaining about something <laughs> so like uh, it's like almost like very weird and meta that like twitter loses a new font people go to twitter to complain about it their tweets are in this new font right <laughs> can't escape it right right so, so anyway we'll revisit that kind of at the end with some more detail related to you know our nerd alert topic but mm -hmm. in the meantime it's just interesting for all the other points exactly all right going back maybe a few hundred years in type design craft <laughs> i think that kind of relates is an article from google design it is titled typeset in stone what a stone carver can teach you about digital typography very cool first of all i don't read about stone carving more than maybe once or twice a year so <laughs> i yep. always and maybe that's more than most people too likely is so i'm always excited to see kind of some of these pop up it's not super new article but really fascinating 
Amber Bravo interviews Nick Benson. I've certainly heard Nick's name kind of tossed around a bit when we talk about like contemporary stone carvers. There's only so many. While reading the article, I found out that his grandfather was John Howard Benson, who like it was very just very integral part of the calligraphy community in the 20th century. I think I have like a really old facsimile that he did. Very cool, very influential. So his grandfather and his father were both stone carver, calligraphy, typography people. Crazy that like that's like you're living the legacy, but like makes sense how you even get into stone carving. Like, you know, just like it's easy if you have someone to kind of follow in your footsteps. By all means, it is not easy, but like it is at least more accessible. So really interesting questions that this interview poses. You know, the interviewer, Amber, kind of asks about what it means to be doing stone carving in in a world that's so digital and, you know, how how does that tension work out and how does that influence his, you know, craftsmanship at any point? I read that he received a MacArthur Fellowship, which is like a big freaking deal. That's like what's considered the genius grant where you get like a very large sum of money to just keep on contributing to the craft that you're a part of. I know Matthew Carter oh. received one as well. So that just shows how much he's like recognized and like how much his craft is, you know, valued. He works at a studio called the John Stevens Shop and they do like very high profile stone carving. You know, they do memorial stones for, you know, people's gravestones, but they also I think did the MLK memorial and did Mm. memorial sites that we are largely recognized around the country. So, you know, it kind of talks about his love for the craft, how it's maybe changed throughout the years. It's funny, he was talking about how he can like really tell, you know, if there are pieces of architecture or industrial design, other physical objects that were designed in a totally digital space and didn't translate well into the physical world. So he kind of has like that unique aspect. And then he also talks about, you know, for the World War II memorial that he worked on in DC, you know, he did this beautiful stone carving. It is a a sans serif, very kind of straightforward lines of text, fully justified, you know, nothing too ornamental on it. Very beautiful on this stone carving. But so interesting because he's like, we just saw the letters on a white canvas and they were black in a digital computer. This would mean nothing. But it's so much about like the actual physical making of it and the hard labor that goes into it that makes this important and like the permanence of it too. I mean, you mm-hmm. carve things into stone. It's like in st- such stark contrast of 99.99 designers think today. Like even if you're on the web, everything's flexible, everything's modifiable. Even in print design, you know, things that I'm making today probably won't last longer than 10 years. So the idea that like what he's making, it kind of has that different meaning behind it. It's just like a really interesting perspective and look into a craft that you're just like likely never going to see that much visibility into. Plus, I just feel like I've only ever met one stone carver in my life. And I feel like that the detail that you have to be aware of of typographic principles Mm -hmm. is just like almost beyond normal type design where if you know really experienced type designers like way up here in how much they know compared to us mere mortals i feel like a storm a stone carver has to be above them it it's really unbelievable and like he talks about how you know i don't really think of this as like 
a business capital B, like it is what pays my bills, but you know, I'm not getting wealthy off of this. I'm not growing my business. I'm not interested in growing my business. Like it is what it is. You know, if I charge a fee for stone carving and it takes so much longer for me to actually execute it, well, you know, that's too bad. I just want to make the beautiful work. And like the very kind of like Mm. arts and crafts movement mindset on that is like very interesting to kind of be put in modern day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I also have to say, just tiny detail, I was excited in this article to see that he went to SUNY Purchase, which mm. is like a school that I almost went to in, mm. in New York, like a state school, like the only state art school. Oh. And good. it's just like totally a nonchalant, like not even a big deal school, which is just so interesting that like you could, I don't know, that's just a weird connection. Art school's what you make of it. Totally stand oh, by that. Don't even say that. You know it. It means I messed up. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Our next article is from Creative Boom. It is titled, Ollie Meyer's Very Font Family was inspired by the Bulgarian alphabet. Pretty cool. Berlin-based graphic designer, Ollie Meyer, released this typeface family four years in the making. I feel like that's kind of a long time for, it's like Mm -hmm. medium, medium to medium long for these days. And it is a geometric sans serif that's inspired by the Bulgarian character G. So generally the Bulgarian alphabet, but it was in particular this character B that he spotted on a Bulgarian shop window. He said a B as in boy, but then he flipped it 180 degrees made a latin character g and then this whole typeface was born so like you never know <laughs> where you're gonna find inspiration he did intern in at monotype in 2016 so i believe very is being released with a monotype the graphics for it are very monotype <laughs> i like i'm starting to see like a pattern of really like beautiful maybe coded animation of letters kind of moving in space having some dimension to them but it's a, it's a beautiful font i love like the different variations of it and like the variables go from default to classic to modern to loopy and it kind of moves through these very different kind of geometric forms the whole thing is geometric but like do you want you know single story g with a really tight loop at the bottom or a more angled loop at the angled kind of ending at the bottom of it you know stuff like that i also love the movement from the single story a to the double story a it's like really nice to see throughout there's if you go to the actual it links to the actual website for the font where you can play with it and buy it and i think the font website is very straightforward but also very beautiful Hmm. and there's like a little drawer that you can kind of pull out and mess with stuff and i was very confused for a minute about what the heck to do with this and then i realized you could like overwrite the title of the page and Hmm. write your own text and use that to play with the font Hmm. and so there's like it shows that there's a weight variation access, which is very cool. And you get to like play with all of the alternates and extra figures and whatnot. And I was very fascinated to see that I just accidentally typed in like random letters like JH, JKH. And then I turned on the alternates and they have sort of like superscript H letters hmm. for some reason okay. I, I don't know if that's like related to the language that, that i don't know i mean it's not just the h like also t hmm. is a superscript and like oh and uh, like seemingly random letters are superscript like I tiny little tall and up in the air and it's weird and neat i don't know i really like it 
very cool. There's something about this. Like, it's just, there's so many weird little unexpected curves and hiccups and, and strange little things that I just think it's just neat. It's just yeah. neat. Yeah. I love their interrobang. They use the unusual form of the interrobang with, like, the question mark and the exclamation point. The top of that mark kind of separated, but then, like, conjoined at the very bottom. It's hard to describe, but it is you very love an fun. You love an interrobang. You know what's another thing? I I tried to do this on the league site, but most type sites don't do this. Like most sites will show all of the characters that you can have in a font, but they mm-hmm. don't describe in in English what they are. So like I really just want to be like Command F, find the interrobang, mm-hmm. and I can't. I just mm-hmm. don't. I don't know where in the list it is. No, I feel that. Tiny nitpicking, whatever. I mean, very cool. What is this, Twitter? Me just complaining about stuff? Complaining about fonts, the new the new platform Twitter has been known for. <laughs> anyway, oh. it's it's a it's an interesting background. It's a beautiful font. It's like fun to play with. Cool to check out. Yeah, go have fun. Definitely. Speaking of fonts. <laughs> Speaking on this of font thoughts. podcast, wild. Wild. Our next article is from Shillington. 37 of the best free modern fonts to add to your toolbox. That is the article, guys. <laughs> Go take a look. Yeah, no, just kidding. This it's is a great, nice... you know, it's a great classic listicle with like with like good imagery of cool fonts that are free. Right? Yeah. Everybody loves yeah. that. From all sorts of sources. There's quite a bit of representation for Velveteen, which is one of our favorite open source foundries. Some Google fonts on here. Some fonts from Behance. My major disappointment in this were the fonts from the League because made really missing right. out. Really missing out. But but it, <laughs> they do have Oswald in here, which is a fork of League Gothic. So that's nice. That Yeah, that's true. That looks nice. I like it. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, no, there's some fonts in here I really love. They have Pillow Lava, which is one of the fonts I use for my branding and was on a t-shirt that you saw today, Micah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was funny. It was just like a random, I don't know, like upstate New York. Somebody had a sweatshirt with Pillow Lava on it. And I was like, oh, that's the Olivia font. It, yeah, I do love it. I mean, I, honestly, I for all my shade, this is like a really helpful site of you know typefaces that feel modern in very kind of contemporary use cases this is great for students you know like sometimes they you know maybe you go to school where you're only allowed to use 10 fonts when you're a sophomore and all of a sudden you're a junior and you're like i need more fonts but like i don't know where to look (laughs) i mean this will give you a nice compilation but then we'll maybe direct you to some resources where you can continue finding affordable fonts for whatever project you have uh i'm really into this there, I, there were one or two that I had never seen before, too, including Same. one of the last ones. Like, th- like number 35 is National Park, which is nationalparktypeface.com. I've never seen that. Yeah. It's very yeah. cool. I like I it. I guess I haven't either. Right. Interesting. I mean, who doesn't love national parks, too? So It was made by Design Outside Studio. Oh, is that what Doe, Doe stands for? Studio. Yeah. Cool. 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 I like it. Great. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm sure this will be bookmarked on someone's uh, browser eventually. And, you know, great to see some quality fonts getting represented out there that are free and affordable. Indeed, Aroni. Oh, I like that new word. Thanks. Thanks. Good one. Almost as good as dribble That was from last week. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That was pretty great, huh? Excellent. Proud of that one. 
And our last article is related to the Nerd Alert, so we're just going to like keep it in there and then transition into the Nerd Alert. Yes! Okay, Micah, Spotlight's all on you today. I'm Crap. so excited. I uh, have so many questions for you. That's great. All right, well, let's start with the basics, I suppose. So we're talking about the concept of hinting in the category of type design, right? So everybody, I think, understands, of course, that type design involves drawing a bunch of letters and assembling it in, you know, font editor software and, you know, exporting the font, right? And so the the process of hinting is basically, in, in its most general terms, we'll get into a lot more detail, its most general terms is giving some instructions to the font of how to kind of rearrange the shapes at drastically different sizes. So the the point is that as you shrink down a font, like a font giant is very easy to read no matter what, right? Like it's it's huge, it's great quality, no problem. But as you shrink it down, the space that you have to describe what the curves look like in a font, you know, it, it gets minimized because mm-hmm. basically everything is on a pixel grid. It's like graph paper. Whether you're looking at a screen, it's pixels. If you're looking at a printer, it's actually like printed in, you know, essentially tiny dots on the paper. And so it's it's a matter of how do you describe how the same font should look when you only have you know, a six pixel square to draw out a letter as opposed to, you know, 10 billion pixels at large sizes. And so hinting is kind of giving the software some hints about how to rearrange those black and white and grayscale squares to basically most mimic what you want the letter to look like at crazy extreme sizes and in different contexts. That makes sense. They're not the same, but I often think about optical sizing when I hear hinting because it's like the easiest direct translation, even though they are not the same, correct? Right. So optical sizing is a matter of kind of adjusting the way a character is drawn depending on how large or small the character is Mm -hmm. so it it is kind of a related concept where at a smaller size you're just not going to be able to see as much detail so there's a lot of times that you want to like adjust the x site a little bit higher or Mm -hmm. you know like adjust the way that it's drawn somehow to make it a little bit more legible at small sizes hinting is a little bit more technical in terms of trying to keep that same shape in unforgiving sizes i guess Mm -hmm. is maybe a way to put it that makes Um, sense so if optical sizing is about kind of adjusting the drawing at smaller sizes or at larger sizes do the drawings of the letter forms get adjusted in hinting when it goes to smaller sizes or is it more that the hinting is like the code that tells the font how to be displayed Ooh, i like that i like that explanation i think it is a lot more the code that tells the font how to be displayed it's the hint. Um, right. I guess, I guess you know, we can back up a little bit and sort of explain how screens 
change the way the text is rendered. Mm-hmm. And this applies to printing too. And, and I guess to be fair, hinting has been a part of what they call the font mastering process, which is sort of like the final piece of making sure that a font is production quality and works in as many environments as possible. And that has been a part of font making since like digital fonts in the 70s. And it this idea of hinting came about initially because of printing. Like you Mm. were looking at the font on a screen and the grid that the printer was using was drastically different than the screen, the grid that the screen was using to render it. And Mm. so, you know, it was a matter of like, how do you adjust what you're seeing on the screen to hopefully closely resemble when you print it? And as screens have increased in resolution and in pixel density, like the pixels have basically gotten smaller, so everything seems higher resolution, it has kind of become an important piece in both printing and screen rendering. Mm, Interesting. That was kind of my, I was just boggled by this. I was like, we're still doing hinting? Like it's 2021. Our screens are clearer or as clear as like my real life. They're clearer than me without glasses for sure. So like I was like, I understand like everything's crystal clear. Like when you zoom in on type on a screen, it still looks incredible. But you're saying there's still circumstances where, you know, things are just so tiny that this is still relevant. Yeah, and okay, that's actually interesting that you bring up zooming in on a screen and it still looks great. Because zooming in, like if you're in your browser and you're hitting Command Plus on a Mac that's or whatever, what I'm talking you're zooming about. in, right? Yes. you are not actually zooming in on the screen. What you are doing? You are increasing the ratios of the web page, but you're not actually zooming in on the, on the pixels of the screen. And so that's... This is everything. Uh, uh, You've unlocked my mind. You've unlocked hinting great. for me. Okay, that's awesome to hear. I like that. Because, so, I mean, I think most of us understand at this point, but if not, that's okay. I'll tell you right now. A font is, you know, it's the difference between pixel and vector. So, like, drawing something in Photoshop, you're literally, essentially coloring in little squares that are the pixels with gradients to make it look more realistic or clear or whatever. Whereas in Illustrator, if you're drawing something, you're you're like writing out math instructions behind the scenes that the computer redraws continuously with those math instructions. So there's never pixelation that just doesn't exist with vector drawings. It's always like recreating the math so that the line is always perfectly sharp, right? Yes. Your screen though exists in pixels. So what you're looking at when you're facing the screen while the computer is drawing out this perfect algorithm to make the line straight, that's why like when you zoom in, you're just increasing the ratio of that algorithm. So it's still it's still perfectly straight. Mm. There's still no pixelation. That's what zooming in on your browser is doing. Got it. As opposed to if you took like a really high power microscope or magnifying glass and held it up to your physical screen. Okay you would see all of the tiny dots that make up the thing that you're looking at. Okay. All right. (laughs) This is so helpful. You don't even know, Micah. This is so helpful. A lot more detail to get into, and I don't want to go too crazy, but I think it's kind of useful. Yeah. Like, it's. I think it's important to understand... You know, that that's the zooming in versus the pixelation kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? 
the other reason that this is still really relevant is that screens are not made the same. So mm-hmm. even though the majority of any device that you buy at this point is relatively high resolution, like there's a lot of pixels crammed in to your screen, they're different. You know, like certain PCs have different resolutions and pixel density than Macs do. And even, you know, like an iOS, like the different iOS devices, like one version of the iPhone has a different pixel density and resolution than a different iOS device, which is different than an Android device. Okay. And, you know, there's they're constantly trying to increase that pixel density, meaning cramming more pixels in so the pixels mm-hmm. are tinier and tinier dots, which makes it look sharper as you're looking at it. But, you know, there's still computers that exist that are low resolution. Like, it's not like those just disappeared. Some people still use those. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's not one set of numbers of pixels on every screen means we still kind of need to care. Okay. All right. This makes sense. I want to bring all of this information into the context of our Twitter font, Chirp. So this is kind of what sparked this whole idea about doing a nerd alert on hinting. We were talking about the font. Micah goes, seems like people are pretty upset about the hinting. Maybe we should do a nerd alert on hinting. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do a nerd alert on anything with you. But I was like, I guess I should look up what people were saying about this hinting because like hinting is still relevant, question mark. It is. I Google, I literally Googled Twitter font hinting. People were like, this font is aggressively hinting. Uh, actually, this font is hinted, but they don't have hinting regions. And I was like, oh my God, I, I just, someone explained this to me. People were like showing small examples and there was finally one example that kind of clicked in my mind. They showed a screenshot of the Twitter font on Android and the Twitter font us text. So the text that was sent in this was just SpongeBob with one lowercase, one uppercase, one lowercase letter throughout SpongeBob text. And they were basically saying it looks like SpongeBob text. When they say SpongeBob text, they're meaning that the baseline actually is shifted up and down and there's baseline shifts throughout a line of text. So I I started to be like, oh, wow. Okay, so I see that like the lowercase a is just, just the slightest bit above this lowercase t and so on and so forth. But like, how can you put in layman's terms what people are talking about when they talk about the hinting and how people were perceiving this and why people were picking up on it. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't think we have an exact image of this in our newsletter, but if you Google Twitter font hinting, you will see some of the images that you're referencing here and you'll start to see some of the, the details of what we're talking about. And it, and it's basically like a, a bouncing baseline. As you're designing a font and when you're reading a font, you expect the baseline and the X height to be consistent across the font to make it easy to jump from one letter to the next to be able to create words in your brain. And that consistency is a huge part of why type design is difficult, right? Like you got to make sure everything's scaled correctly and to relatable sizes amongst this giant vast grid of letters. And so... That looked fine in a lot of contexts, but some people were posting on certain devices screenshots where, particularly in this font, a lot of the characters that had overshoots were suddenly raised a little bit of the up above the baseline of the rest of them. So, like, the bottom of 
an N or an I would be a straight line, and then suddenly the C in the word bouncing would be like janky and off vertically. And so that's that's the effect that we're talking about. And that's why it's important. That's why a lot of people are saying this is hard to read and we can't believe you replaced the one thing that we can't change on all of Twitter with this thing that is so difficult to read and it hurts my eyes to see it because people on certain devices are going to see that hinted in a... like the hinting is off on certain devices. What that means is that the... that the hinting is actually the process that is applied to the font and the effect there is the bouncing text Mm -hmm. so i actually opened up the font i did this a shout out to our our great friend thomas jockin because we did this we nerded out together on our weekly call this week and we downloaded the font and we opened it up and we looked at why this is the case and so basically the the process of hinting is as you're building the font, you're taking certain points and kind of giving the font guidance of when it scales to certain ranges of sizes, move the pixels up, down, left, and right, basically to just like guide it a little bit so that it looks accurate with the little amount of information you have to display this letter. And what you found out about the hinting zones, I guess, you know, back in the days of everybody using FontLab, they were blue, so they were called blue zones. In glyphs at the moment, they seem to be orange. But, you know, they're like hinting zones where you're basically saying, and it's and it's often the same places in a font for most fonts. It's like around the top of the X height and around the bottom of the baseline, essentially where there's going to be overshoots happening you want to tell the font in these areas pay extra attention and like move the pixels up or down to adjust and in addition to that you have to like describe these zones where you want it to pay extra attention and then you have to kind of tell it which points it needs to pay attention to so like Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't really describe this in the beginning, but when when we're talking about overshoots, we're talking about how circular letters optically need to be just a tiny bit larger than their straight counterparts because of how our eye just reads the shapes. And that's like a, a very standard portion of drawing letters in type design. It's like making a C or an O or an N or a U, like the curved parts have to be just like a little bit below the baseline. And when we look at it in a normal font, it looks right because it's like mm-hmm. optical adjustment, even though technically if you zoom in, the points are like over the baseline. And mm-hmm. so you draw these areas saying, okay, here's like a few you know, units above the X height and below the baseline where we want it to pay attention. And here's the points that we want to kind of just gently nudge either up or down to to make it accurate. And you kind of got it like it's a whole obnoxious process of defining these things and then making a proof at absurd sizes so that you actually see how it comes out. And then you notice that, oh, it's a little janky. So you got to go back and be like, eh, I'm going to make this like anchor point, this like guide that's telling it where to move. That actually should be guiding it downwards instead of up. 
or like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. up two pixels instead of one pixel. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's really just like a testing process. For sure. I think like most people can maybe relate to this. Like whenever I have to make favicons, so it's like the tiny, tiny icon that goes in the browser. That's like the smallest I'll ever design anything. I don't know. It might be like 16 by 16 pixels. And so, you know, I might just drop a regular icon that I designed for my branding. All of a sudden it looks terrible. It looks like mushy and like the parts of it are defined. If there's like, you know, a counter in this icon, like a counter in a letter form, it might not be as big or small as I want it. And so we're talking about like that sort of scale like we're talking about you know when the nuances of an overshoot or something get diminished into these pixels and that's when this decision making comes about also i think micah you mentioned that you know type design software can emulate the environment of what your type will look like if it's you know 20 pixels high or Mm -hmm. however so i think that's like also pretty eye-opening like you're not going to be just like with your face to the computer screen being like can i see the difference like this (laughs) is like part of a technical process like even in glyphs, there's there's like a button that you push to turn on, you know, hinting view and you mm-hmm. set the pixel size and, you know, you can look at it at 20 pixels or 19 pixels or four pixels or whatever. I mean, four pixels is absolutely bonkers. Who's making a four pixel size rendering of type? But the reason that you need that, like exactly what you're describing with how it looks blurry or something when you shrink you know, big, beautiful images down to those absurdly tiny sizes is essentially aliasing, like anti-aliasing, you know, is done differently on different computers and different devices, Mm -hmm. which sucks. You know, Windows uses RGB values to make grayscales, and Mac only uses grayscales to make grayscales. And there's a couple other systems that different devices use. And so these are all modes that you can switch to preview in glyphs for example and see what it's going to look like on a windows computer at size eight pixel box so that you can be like oh you know what you know this this looks real heavy and weird on the left side and so i need to like make some anchor points to tell it to nudge it over a quarter of a pixel or a seventh of a pixel to the right because essentially what it comes down to is The only thing that's going to be clear at tiny sizes like that are something that perfectly aligns with a pixel. Mm. So if something is a straight line that is exactly one pixel big, that's going to be a super straight looking line, you know, at at a four pixel size. But like an N, there's no chance of that being a straight line all the way through because there's a curve. And so it's a matter of like, what grayscale values is it going to apply around that? And as you adjust these anchor points to get closer to an actual pixel lineup mm-hmm. is when it gets a little bit clearer and you kind of basically, it's like a weird dark art form of being like, all right, this is clear enough to resemble the feeling of the font and be legible at this absurdly tiny size. Interesting. So what we found with the Twitter font or what you found was that there was hinting that was part of it, but the vertical metrics for the hinting wasn't there. Yeah. 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 That was one of the things we were really surprised about. And we honestly don't know why, you know, I guess I'm guessing that, that it was either something that, got messed up in the shipping of I mean so we were talking about how it's a variation of GT America 
And so we were looking at the trial version of GT America, which you're mm-hmm. legally allowed to download and open up. Mm-hmm. And so we were inspecting, you know, there were those zones that were just above the X height and just below the baseline. And there was another one that we couldn't quite figure out that was above the X height. We didn't know why it was there, but it was there. And we couldn't find any anchor points. And so okay. it just wasn't adjusting vertically. And we mm-hmm. we then switched to, you can do it horizontally. And thankfully, Thomas is much more an expert on this. And, you know, he was basically like, adjusting horizontally is a thing, but it's kind of like expert level hinting, which is already mm. expert level type design, right? Yeah, and it's kind of like, yeah. you know, adjusting the spacing of letters and how that sits, you know, within the bounding box on the left and right and they had that in there but they didn't have any anchor points to guide it up and down which suddenly makes sense like why that is i don't know did they forget maybe did they not think it was necessary possibly you know that kind of relates back to what we were saying about twitter is such an extreme stress test yes that like it's very reasonable that they would design this font where they made it in such a way that at reasonably small sizes on most computers, it looked fine. And they yeah. were like, we don't need to. We can just, you know, skip to adjusting horizontally because there were a few weird things that we saw. And otherwise, it's good. And suddenly you put it on something that's on billions of devices exactly. around the globe at who knows how many hundreds of different resolutions and different screen sizes exactly. and whatnot. It's like, oh, no one could have anticipated that. Which, so you know, maybe the Twitter design team should have. I don't know. But yeah. I wasn't in the room. So that's that feels a little unfair to be like, you should have thought of this because it's such a crazy environment. Wild. Oh, thank you so much. I, I hope really... that was clear. You know, I yes. realize it's like kind of a dense topic and there's like a lot of detail in it. And I, you know, we're kind of keeping it at a very base level, I think. But still, hopefully, hopefully that would... made sense to everybody. I'll take your verbal explanation over any article that I found, which were very well written. We should probably write an article. (laughs) We should, because everything was well written, but I'm like, whoa, trying to get through this. There's a lot of, there's, I mean, if you're really interested in hinting, there's a lot of really technical parts of it where they start name dropping like true type font formats and how the font formats have to do with it and its history and its future. But like, I, Micah, I really do feel like you covered what, what I wanted to cover and what, you know, I think is important context for everyone listening. That's really great. I think, I think if you look at the article that we linked to, it is one of those, I mean, it's not a long article, but it is one of those fairly technical ones, but it has a lot of good visuals of what we're talking about, of like what it looks like at grayscale at totally absurd tiny sizes and how it looks on different screens and stuff. It's some good visuals to like go along with this. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you to everyone that hung in there, stuck with us <laughs> through this topic that I'm so glad we addressed. I think this is going to be a great resource for people in the future as well. I can't um, wait till we do a workshop teaching how to do this because it's, you know, it is one of those things that is super important to finished type design and like font mastering, but is also because it's so technical, one of those things that is just absolutely terrifying to approach. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. So I, I believe that. But one one of these days, we can make that happen. Let's manifest Boom. that. All right, Micah. <laughs> a pleasure as always. Thanks. Thanks everybody for, you know, 
putting up with the long detailed convo and we are going to have even more fun nerdy stuff next week oh yeah there's an interview next week and then you're going to have mm-hmm. more funny nerdy links but you just gotta that's a good tease exciting guest next week all right until do-do-do. then do 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 do